with gardening, wherever you do go in the world, you're amongst friends. There's there's always people there that appreciate what you're doing and you appreciate what they're doing. But I think one of the most beautiful countries we've been to and worked in and uh, lectured in and done all the other things is South Africa. Stunning, stunning country. It's the, the second largest plant kingdom in the world. And you've got the Cape with one set of flora. Then you've got um, the East Coast, which is much more subtropical and tropical. And then you've got up to uh, sort of Johannesburg and Pretoria, which is uh, on the high veld. And that's a different climate again. It's a wonderful country of landscapes and climates and, and of plant material. You, you couldn't ask for a, a more rewarding place to go. And, and utterly stunning, utterly stunning in, in landscape. That was David Stevens, who joins us on the podcast today, a very, very experienced gardener. Really, really nice to get someone with such a, a breadth of knowledge and such a passion for gardening. He's done so much in the garden industry, and it's a, a great chat for anyone who's interested in gardening. A really, really good one. So welcome to the podcast today. Uh, we're around about three weeks off Chelsea, and we're just before the May Day bank holiday. The weather uh, outside, as I talk to you now, isn't as nice as it was over Easter. And Easter brought the plants for Chelsea along really, really nicely. Um, And everyone seemed to be in the garden spirit, loads and loads of online orders going out. Um, and everything was going going really, really well. And it suddenly slowed down, um, but that's what you, you get in gardening. It's so, so determined by the weather. Um, and we're not overly concerned. It hasn't got particularly cold here, to be honest. I think it's around about 10 degrees uh, today, so so not too bad. And we didn't actually get a frost that we were promised last night. Um, hopefully, uh, if you... You are getting the cold weather you managed to protect all your tender plants and things like that. So, yeah, three weeks off Chelsea. If you're coming along, uh, make sure you pop uh, pop and say hello to us. Um, it'd be great to, great to chat with you. Um, the stand is being painted as we speak. It's set up in, I've mentioned on the podcast before, it's set up in a greenhouse that we that we actually des- dedicate to everything for all the flower shows. Uh, it's being painted um, and it's going to get another coat of paint fairly soon. And it's looking really, really good. Really, really pleased with it. Um, but yeah, uh, me and David talk a little bit about flower shows and stuff like that on this this particular interview. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. It really is. Yeah, really, really kind of you to come along. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, it's been a while now. I was uh, chatting to somebody. I've been in the trade about, uh, well, a good 50 years, which uh, never seems like that, does it? But uh, I originally trained as a landscape architect back in the 1970s because that was the only way you could get a, a training in, in garden design. And I still think in, in, in many ways, if you trained as a landscape architect, it took me five years, Derry Lease, and I was working with John Brooks then, it's probably the best way to get a rounded training in, in exterior design because gardens, landscapes, whatever, that's that's precise to what it is. It's, it's designing any outside environment. And I think a good designer should really be able to tackle any of those fields successfully. And I must say, I, I, I couldn't have enjoyed myself more over the years. I've been extremely lucky. We've gone all over the world and uh, it, it's a brilliant trade to be involved with. Yeah, definitely. And was it the design that attracted you or was it the plants? <laughs> Both really. Um, I think 
the main thing I've always been able to draw at school, like a lot of horticultural things, nobody ever told you about horticulture or design or working outside. And I'd always fancied doing that. But I went through a whole load of jobs before I sort of almost stumbled upon it. I was in the police force for three months. I got a commission in the Marines. And I didn't like that very much. Um, and then eventually I went into sales management. And uh, that was great because it actually just taught you to speak to people, which I think in this day and age is, is absolutely essential. Um, but it, it, it really is a great business and and I started off really interested in in um, landscape contracting I had my own little landscaping business for two or three years laying crazy paving and turf and all the usual things um, but I eventually came to the conclusion that design was what I really wanted to do and um, that's when I signed up Thames Polytechnic right in the middle of London seems an odd place to study landscape design but there you go um, joined John Brooks for three years um, at Zion Park down at Brentford and um, I think design and, and, and the manipulation of space, if you like, which is what design's all about, that was what turned me on initially. And then plants, of course, come into the equation because they bring the garden alive, they give you the third dimension, they give you interest, should be for 364 days of the year. So it, it, it's, it's a combination between dealing with the design and the space and then using the plants to bring the whole thing alive and to take it into the next dimension. Yeah, excellent. And you've done uh, various flower shows um, at the highest level. What made you get into that? <laughs> Just a few. Um, one of my first jobs after I left left college was um, you, you either went into local government, which is a safe job, um, but immensely boring, or you went into private practice, which was much more risky. You didn't get paid much, but you had more fun. Uh, and I fortunately chose the latter. Um, so that's, that's really how I got into that stage of it. And my first big client, I suppose, was Homes and Gardens, the magazine. And I um, suggested, quite by chance, that they do a garden planning service. And the editor then, a lady called uh, Psyche Period, I don't think anybody calls Psyche any longer. Yeah. She said, wow, that's, that's a great idea. And <laughs> they'd launched it in the magazine. Um, and I thought, crikey, how actually are we going to work this within? I worked out a questionnaire. What what uh, did you want and what have you got? And we used to get odd things like parcels through the post um, full of pieces of string. Uh, string A would be the length of the garden. String B would be the width. And we had to work it out from there. But it, it actually did work. Um, and from there, um, a few years down the line, I said, said to, to Psyche, well, why don't we do a garden at Chelsea Flower Show? She said, well, that's a great idea, she said, but we haven't got a budget. So in those days, you, you had to beg, borrow, steal, plants. Um, the contractors did it, obviously, with the publicity in the magazine, and that's how we got started. And, and the first one I built was in, in 1972, and we actually won a, a silver gilt medal, which obviously everybody was absolutely thrilled the bits with. And it, it kind of went from there, really, which is uh, uh, both a compliment from the magazine and uh, great fun to do. I think shows are marvellous. They, they're still marvellous. There's... I dread to say there's too many, but the budgets have now got so difficult because there are so many shows that it's it's a it's a difficult old game to work now. But uh, they're still they're ideas factory. They get people um, really thinking about what they'd like in the garden. Don't copy because gardens wouldn't have been designed for you. But get ideas and and really think about what the designers and the plantsmen and plants people have been putting together. That's how you really start to learn about things. Hmm. And when you're designing for a show, is it very different to designing for an actual garden? It allows you, I think, to possibly do things that you wouldn't always do for a client. So it's a great test bed for ideas. But all the gardens we've done over the years 
I've honestly tried to make them practical and, and gardens that people could relate to. Um, again, I hesitate to say that, you know, you go to Chelsea, some of the big shows now, and a number of the gardens, frankly, you couldn't live in. I mean, they're very clever. Um, they're very sharp edge, very high tech, but a lot of people just wouldn't be able to live in them. They're, they're stylized. They're great works of art, but they're not, I think, gardens as such, and that's a pity. But I think, as you know, Alan, the, the, the most important thing about a garden is that it has to be practical, both in design and, and, in, and in plant terms, without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I suppose Chelsea probably has those more uh, out there designs than many of the other shows. Some of the other shows tend to have a bit more practicality about them. Yeah, do you know my favourite one's the Malvern Spring Show, which is coming up, of course. And I think that's one of the really, really good shows. It's not got too big. It's in a lovely setting. And it's almost like a big, still like a big county show, really. But you get some stunning gardens down there. You really, really do. And again, those are ones that I think that um, when I'm talking to people around the place, the number of people who have been to Malvern and really, really enjoy it. And I think that's that's a proof of a good show. It really is. Yeah, definitely. And actually, we um, we exhibited there last year. And certainly, um, I personally didn't go, but my parents went. They said everyone was very happy. Yeah, it's a happy show. I think uh, at the end of the day, gardening should be a happy business. It can be hard work sometimes. But uh, if you can sit down with a pint of beer or G&T in the evening and say, wow, I've done that. And that's, that really gives you a kick, doesn't it? It's a good thing to do. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned earlier that you've been all over the world with your, your garden designing. Is there any place that actually stands out? Gosh, yes, it's always a difficult question that um, they're so different. The countries are so different. And uh, the one the one thing I would say is that with gardening, wherever you do go in the world, you're amongst friends. There's there's always people there that appreciate what you're doing and you appreciate what they're doing. But I think one of the most beautiful countries we've been to and worked in and uh, lectured in and done all the other things is South Africa. Stunning, stunning country. It's the, the second largest plant kingdom in the world. And you've got the Cape with one set of flora. Then you've got um, the East Coast, which is much more subtropical and tropical. And then you've got to uh, sort of Johannesburg and Pretoria, which is uh, on the high veld. And that's a different climate again. It's a wonderful country of landscapes and climates and, and of plant material. You, you couldn't ask for a, a more rewarding place to go. And, and utterly stunning, utterly stunning in, in landscape. So as you move from one country to the next, is there a huge amount of learning you have to do with regards to the plants? Well, um, up to a point, but, you know, again, you'll know this, Alan, that, that a lot of our plants that we use here have come from abroad. I mean, it's the only the, it was the old Victorian plant collectors that uh, tripped around the world collecting plants and bringing them back to England and the UK. Um, and the reason we're such good gardeners is our climate. We grow a huge range of plants uh, easily and effectively because we've got this lovely warm damp temperate climate and things do so well so if you know your english plants or your british plants that we use here you actually also know quite a lot of the plants from around the world I mean, we were in japan not long ago and you think of the number of plants that have got japonica after them you know our cuba japonica fatty japonica all those sort of things and they're all just japanese plants so in a way you've got a head start before you go abroad and that's great but I just love plants. You naturally tend to, you know, pick things up as you go along. And the best place to learn your plants, frankly, is in a nursery. Pick them up, put them down, look at them, see what the leaves are like, see what the flowers are doing. And that's the way to learn. Learn by personal contact with plants. It's, I think it's the finest way. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think um, one plant that one person loves and uh, compared to another plant that someone else doesn't, it's, it's what's right for you, really. And that's interesting, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> I, I've often talked to, to plants, to, uh, to people and say, oh, I hate that. But it's, it's just in the eye of the beholder, isn't it, really? Somebody likes one thing and somebody likes another. And the other question you get, what's your favourite plant? That's always a tricky one as well. <laughs> and have you got an answer? Well, um, they're all so fantastic, aren't they? But I tell you what, it, it's nothing fancy because um, I think a lot of a lot of people try and come up with clever plants and they may never have heard of. But you know what I like as a shrub is good old Mexican orange blossom, Choisia tonata. Every garden should have them. They're evergreen. They're handsome. They're tough as old boots. They smell wonderful. And that's a plant that works hard for a living. And I think when you're choosing and using plants in a garden, you need species that, that will work hard, that give you both colour, interest, form, shape, all of those things. And they look good in winter as well as they do in summer. So I think my top favourite is a good old choice here. But I don't like sun dance. It looks chloritic to me. It always looks like it needs a good food, good bit of food in it. But the old choice tonight are the standard plant. Brilliant. Absolutely lovely thing. Excellent. And you've obviously been designing for a very long time now. Over those years, uh, and I've been in the industry for around about 25 years, yep. but over the, the period of time, have you seen a change in what people are looking for? It does change. Um, I think when I first came into the trade, it was really the late 60s early 70s and, and the outside room was just really being talked about and people were getting much more conscious about paving and hard surfaces and more architectural design you know you always had the, the built-in barbecue which is a great favorite um, and using hard structures and the plants were really almost secondary to that mm. and as we've moved on plants have become more and more um not necessarily important, but more and more uh, of the furnishing of the garden and have softened up that underlying sort of hard landscape structure. And I think that's important. And you always have um, plants that, that become fashionable, don't you? I remember old uh, Christopher Lloyd, bless him, when he was alive. And I think he was on Gardens World one day and he, yeah. he brought up Verbena bonariensis. And that's <laughs> still now, and it, everybody wants a Verbena bonariensis in their garden. And they don't always put it in the right place. I mean, I reckon it's a bit of a, it's either a back or centre of border plant because there's not much down below it's the flowers that are lovely mm. um, but fashion does change um, and planting now and of course we're now into the into perennials and grasses um, which are absolutely stunning and people say they look good the right way through the year well, I'm not convinced about that because in the winter they I think they do look a bit scruffy to be quite honest but that's again a fashion but um i'm still a firm believer in a good a good mixed border which has got a backbone of shrub material um hardy perennials obviously um and ground covers beneath that um, and i am a lover of roses i mean what 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 else is going to flower from may until christmas uh, we had a, a climber outside the front door and it was in wouldn't it wasn't in full flower on christmas day which had two or three blooms on it and that was just magic really really is yeah, brilliant. brilliant. And so you would have, um, over that period of time, you would have uh, seen and gone the bedding plant schemes. What did you think of that? Well, <laughs> it's, do you know, that's something I think, not bedding plant schemes as such, but that's making a bit of a revival. But certainly, again, when I started in the late 60s, there were far more bedding plants that um, you just don't see around now. I mean, things like calcellarias, which you very rarely see these days, um, were big. But, um, you know, you could buy a box of, a good old wooden box of bedding 
standing for 10 bob then. And what's 50p in new money, isn't it? Um, and I still think annuals have got their place in the garden, certainly in pots and containers because they give you instant colour and that's that's very often useful. And also while a border's developing and I'll quite often just sow annuals in, um, you know, literally a seed, um, sort them out a bit. I'm not too careful about pricking out, but thin them out a bit. And that'll give you instant colour in your borders while other plants are developing. So I think in some ways they're a bit overlooked now, which is a shame because they give you, so, and they're not all bright colour, some are very good pastel, colours, some are soft, some are obviously more vibrant, but um, they've got the place in the garden. I think we should consider them much more possibly than we do at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting. Um, we sometimes, uh, especially on the, the trip to Hampton Court, if you're coming from our direction, can be anything from an hour to six hours, depending yeah, on yeah. the <laughs> um, We often have a conversation about what, what gardens or what displays stand out to us. And one that does for me um, there was a company, I believe from Africa, funnily enough, that did just a round display of right. African marigolds, and it looked amazing. Yeah, stunning, really. I mean, I think the great shame is that, that most of the parks departments, traditional parks departments, have just gone now. Mm. And they were the people, really, that you know that did the big bedding displays, um, both of, of, of annual plants and of things like roses as well. And so, sadly, all of those departments have just been cut back or, or gone altogether because of the financial strains put upon the, upon the councils. But it is a shame because some of those displays were just absolutely awesome, weren't they? Fantastic things, mm. really. And do you think that means we're losing a bit of training ground for people who want to move up into gardening? I think absolutely. I mean, I think they were great schools for, for teaching youngsters coming in. And funny, what I'm doing this year at Gardeners World is um, Young Landscapers Competition, and it's same in the landscape trade. And we have to encourage young people to come in, both both men and women. And hopefully, the, you know, there are more girls coming into the business now, which is great. Um, but education and getting people into the trade is important and of course the parks department were a big part of that and um, thousands of people literally were employed in you know maybe 50 years ago but it was a big big employer and shame that those departments have gone now because that you know they're missing a trick they really are yeah definitely and it's uh, it's a telling sign that when i I go to shows. I'm I'm 38 now. When I go to shows, I can sometimes feel like I'm the youngest one there now. <laughs> Shame it. <laughs> no, it's a, I mean, to to point gardening's always appealed, I suppose, to you know that that slightly older generation who have got a bit more spare time, a bit more free cash, I suppose. Mm. Um, but it's great when you see people turned on to gardening. My my daughter's now. She's actually lucky enough. She's a tenant of uh, a national trust property down in Somerset, and she's just just turned 40. Uh, and since he's had this house, she has just gone bonkers on gardening. And I think it's that sort of almost critical age where you either do really get into it or you don't. But a lot of people come into gardening in their middle years. And, of course, people come into design very often as a second or third career because they got fed up with doing what they were perhaps doing in, in a previous life. So it's interesting just how, how, how and when people do come in to love gardening. Hmm. Definitely. And when people do move into it, especially from a, a design aspect, um, a lot of people are dealing with much smaller spaces now. Have you got any uh, tips with regards to if you're dealing with quite a small garden? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the main thing is keep it simple as you can. I mean, what happens on the first fine day of spring, which is coming up fairly fast, you know, people jump into the car and they bowl off down to the garden centre and they go on a random binge of purchases, don't they? That's the problem. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of those features, but they just haven't a clue where to put them when they get back home. It's just too complicated. So the thing about design, nobody wants a, a garden design. Everybody wants a finished garden. And a design is just a, is a vehicle to get you from point A to point B. That's the important thing. But almost without doubt, the simple things work best. Doesn't mean to say they can't be subtle, but keep it simple and not overcomplicated. Overcomplication, honestly, is the death of a good garden. It really, really is. So simple, straightforward, and just work out, take your time, take a year if necessary. You know, what have you got? Simple survey, work out where the sun swings through the sky. What what kind of soil you got? I mean, the number of people like go to, I say, what sort of soil have you got? Oh, well, they say it's heavy or light. That's not the point, is it? Is it acid or alkaline? You know, does it grow ericaceous plants, acid lovers, or or, or the chalk or um, limey lovers? Um, you know, where does your prevailing wind come from? Are there any slopes? All that basic survey information. Um, draw a plan to scale, and it's quite easy, just on graph paper or whatever, and you get these very simple um, garden design software programs. So I still think if you draw it by hand, you get a better job done, boss. Possibly. Um, and then work out what you want and what do you want? Do you want um, a patio? Do you want vegetables? Do you want herbs? Do you want a lawn? Do you want a water feature? You know, the list goes on. And, uh, and always in a garden, remember that you need to uh, incorporate the, the practical and mundane things as well as the beautiful. So, you know, where's the where are the bikes going to go? Where's, where's the compost heap going to go? The bonfire or whatever. So it really is a practical business. And gardening is a practical business, I think, above all else. It really, really is. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. And that leads me on to you saying about design there. I noticed on your website you do design by post. Still do. That's what we started off with, homes and gardens, all those years ago. Uh, and it's refined itself now over the years. And uh, it is it is the it's the most economic way to get a professional design carried out. And uh, I send out a questionnaire and people fill that in. I ask them as many um, questions as I can through, through the mail or through email, obviously, now. Um, what they like, what they dislike is almost more important than what they do like. Uh, what colours do they like? Uh, what surfaces? What style of garden? And I suppose just through experience of having done it for so many years, you get a really good feel of what they, they do want at the end of the day. And it works, it works extremely well. And it is cost effective as well. So, uh, no, it's, it's um, you know, it's a good idea. Because if you get a designer out personally to design a garden, it's obviously going to cost a good deal more money because they're charging an hourly rate or a day rate or whatever. Um, but the old postal planning is a, is a good way to do it. And, and it is effective. Yeah, and other than the layout and things like that, are they getting ideas of plants that they can purchase yeah. as well? Yeah, right. well, I certainly do. I do. I do a main layout plan, which is obviously the design of the garden. You know, where the the terrace or the patio goes, the, the size of the borders, the size of the lawn, um, areas for vegetables, and all those other things that may not make that sort of basic design. And then a separate planting plan, obviously, which shows all the plants in their allocated position together uh, with the Latin name, which people will say, "Oh dear me!" But it's the only way you get what you want. Hopefully, at the end of the day um, so they get the both they get the layout plan and the planting plan and that really should should do the job for them and it's amazing now um, I've had people write to me and say oh you designed our garden back in 1975 which is a hell of a compliment really yeah. and they say well could can you do it again or sometimes it's the third time round um, and and that's that is a compliment because people come back that number of times so we must have been doing something right anyway yeah, <laughs> quite. in all those years then um, 
how many gardens do you reckon you've designed? Oh, golly. It must be thousands, I suppose. Um, and the poster ones add up to quite a few of those. But, I mean, the, the really good thing is that you deal with some, some wonderful people and some wonderful clients, and you're always welcome back in their garden. Um, I, I think the first major one I did was for a big hero of mine, was Bobby Moore. I did his garden, yeah, did his garden in, in, in Chingford in Essex. Uh, and he was, he was an absolute smashing bloke. You know, what you saw is what you got. Nobody said he was a good bloke, and he was. And him and his wife, Tina, they, you know, they were thoroughly decent people. Um, he came into a bit, well, obviously, it was just after the World Cup. He'd come into a bit of money, not as much as they do these days, mind you. But uh, he got himself a new house with quite a reasonable garden. And uh, we did a cracking job. And I thoroughly enjoyed that one. It was lovely. It really was a nice bloke. And is there anything that stands out about that garden that you remember? It was of its period. So it was very much about outside living, um, big sitting area because he probably wanted to entertain and have his, have his pals around. He, he was a good Essex boy, and I say that in the, in the nicest possible way. You know, it definitely was what you saw is what you got. He was, he was up front. He was, he was funny, um, but he loved friends, and he was always having people around. And, you know, people like Martin Peters, Peters and a lot of the English football team used to be his pals, and they'd come around. Um, but it was very much a garden. He wasn't, he wasn't a plants person, and he wasn't interested in, in you know, digging and staking and tying. But what he wanted was a garden that looked good throughout the year um, and that served its purpose. And I suppose in many ways that's what that's what most people want from their garden. It's uh, and the design does help them to get that, and and the planting plan in particular helps that. And I've often found that once you've done that, they become gardeners. They become really interested in what they've got. And, and again, that's a compliment, I guess. And if we can interest people, and you're the same in your business, if you can get them interested in the plants, you've made gardeners out of them, which is brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And I imagine he probably had a bit of a lawn to kick a ball around. He did actually, <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't have a pair of goalposts, so that was. But he did certainly have a decent-sized lawn. Yeah, no, he's a lovely bloke. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and a few questions we always ask uh, people, um, with the first one being: um, when you're walking around a garden, or perhaps your own garden, is there a particular tool or a bit of equipment you always have with you? I'll tell you the the one tool that everybody should have. You've probably had this one before, but it, it's a border fork, which isn't the big digging fork. It's a border fork. Um, stainless steel has to be. Used to be always Wilkinson, but there's a lot more of different ones around now. But they're you know they're narrower, aren't they? And you can get into a border and you can, you can dig with them, or you can tickle around with them. You can get weed out. You can you know you can get in between plants, which a lot of other tools can't do. Hose a dangerous thing because you you can go straight through plants if you're not yeah. careful. Um, but a border fork, I think, is one of the most useful tools in the garden. And the other one that I always use are a good pair of secateurs. I mean, I always use Felco, um, which I think is still the best. And I've still got the same pair of Felco that I had at college. I've had three or four new blades, and I've always sent them back, and they'll fit the blades for you and do it properly. Um, but a good pair of secateurs is essential. Otherwise, you snag branches and you can chance a disease getting in or if you're rose pruning, that sort of thing. So a border fork and a good pair of secateurs, that's, those are my favourites. Yeah, definitely. And it, it brings me to a question as you were talking there. How often do you get into your own garden? Oh, a lot. Um, in fact, we're just moving house now because we had a house in France, which we sold fortunately last summer. It's all a bit of a tangle at the moment with Brexit, isn't it? But um, and I had a lovely garden over there. But we always kept a little bolt hole here. So I've got a little town garden, little courtyard garden, really. And it's lovely. And, and I get it every day. Um, there's not that many plants in it. 
and I keep experimenting. I planted Clematis armandii a couple of years ago, and this year it's flowered for the first time. It's stunning. It's a beauty. It really is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Plants. Smelly flowers, you know, great evergreen. I mean, it's a good Clematis, and it's a strong old thing, mine. You've got to keep it trained properly, but it's lovely. And the Ceanothus is just coming into bloom now, which is great. Um, and I've got some frittle areas. They're up. But so there's always something going on, isn't there? So, yeah, you're always, yeah. Out, you're always out filling in a garden. That's, that's what they're for. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and when you first got into gardening, was there a particular book or a particular person that really inspired you? Well, John Brooks, really. When John was just as he was more or less starting out, and he, he wrote this book, Room Outside. And it's when I was thinking of, um, you know, I had a little contracting business, but I really wanted to get into design. And I picked this book up and thought, boy, this, this bloke knows what he's doing. Um, and I went down to see him and uh, took a few of my uh, fairly rubbishy designs in those days. Uh, and he saw something in them. And he was then landscape designer down at Zion Park at Brentford, just outside Chiswick. And I was his assistant down there. And it was the best place I could have started a career because everybody was there, all the nurseries. It was the National Exhibition of Gardening. Um, all the nurseries were there. You met all the product suppliers and you really made friends for life and you got to know the trade, which was uh, absolutely essential. And it, it's uh, something that I remember fondly. And John, I remember fondly. He died last year, unfortunately. Um, but it was him that got me started and got me started on a wonderful career in garden design. Couldn't ask for more, really. Brilliant. No. Brilliant. And obviously, uh, I mean, your medals uh, say this more than anything, but uh, you've had a huge amount of successes. Are there any failures that, that come to mind? <laughs> I don't know about failures, but sometimes you do a garden that doesn't quite work out. Sometimes there's something not quite right with the soil. And, it, it, you know, it's a funny thing about plants. You'll, you'll often put something in. And it should go, should work, should go fine. And they cog out, don't they? And for no reason at all. And I've had, you get the old planting scheme that does that, which um, which can be, you know, a bit sad. But I have to say, when I'm designing, there's something about, the only the real thing a designer has, I think, is this sort of ability. And it, it's not taught. I think it's just inbuilt that you know when something's right or wrong. And if it's not right, you don't go with that you've got to get it right and i think if you get it right 99.9 .9 times out of 100 the client's going to love it and i think that's that's been the case i've been very lucky with that or maybe i seem to have got it right and i know what know what i'm doing um i've had one or two gardens which are disappointing in that or one or two clients that have been disappointing in that they just hired you because they want your name on it and that's not right you know um it's not my name that's behind the garden it, it's it's a combination a designer is a a facilitator that works with the client to get them the best possible results. So you're working with their ideas, putting your ideas in, but making a composition and a garden that, that fits them like a glove. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. It's not my garden, it's their garden. And you've got to be a, a bit humble about that in some ways. You're not just a, um, you know, some sort of a demigod on a pinnacle. You're just a designer that's actually getting, getting it right for people that possibly haven't got that experience to do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes they just want a fresh idea, I imagine. Exactly. And I think quite a lot of the jobs I go to, it's just on a consultancy basis. And, and 
it's often a fresh eye, isn't it? If you're going to put a fresh eye on something, you can spot something that if somebody's had the garden for, say, 10, 20 years, they've just got so used to that they'd never thought of doing that. And I think uh, a fresh eye on something in whatever area of design it would be is, is a useful thing. And uh, I think that, again, is, is something that designers should do more often. Just visit a garden, uh, having been asked by the client, and see what can be put right or sorted out, which probably would cost very little money indeed. It's just getting it right and it's getting that fresh eye to make it right. Yeah, quite. Yeah, and quite. it's uh, interesting you say about uh, a plant that maybe should work in a spot, but doesn't. <laughs> yeah. um, one that actually springs to mind, and strangely enough, we get it mentioned more at, at flower shows than anything else, is mint. It's amazing how many people really struggle to grow mint. Interesting, isn't it? Because I must admit, <laughs> normally you can't get rid of it. <laughs> Romps around the place, doesn't it? You grow it in a bucket or, or you know, get, get a big sheet of corrugated iron around it or something. Um, it, I wonder whether it comes back to a thing called green fingers. The American call it green thumb. I've never, never quite understood why. And it's, it's confidence, isn't it? It's planting with confidence. And people do cuttings and they fiddle about with them and you know they overwater them and they conk out but a lot of gardening if you do it with confidence it's like moving I mean, I'm, I'm dreadful I've moved you know trees in the middle of summer and you know do it properly get them out the ground slide them across get all take as much root as you can slide them across put them into a hole um, water them well good cultivation stake it and 10 to 1 you'll get away with it and it's just confidence and doing it quickly and accurately and well I think that's that's the thing isn't it it's uh, it's the confidence that matters definitely and uh, I think uh, certainly on the nursery because you've got so many plants we're in a better position a bit of trial and error um, yeah with so many plants you can get away with it yeah yeah and I, th I think I mean one thing I think you'll appreciate this if I'm lecturing around the place and I'm talking about the, the price of plants and people mumble and bum you think the amount of work that goes into a plant you've got to propagate it you've got to grow it on you know cutting seed whatever you've got to irrigate it then it's got to go to the garden center it gets marked up again and plants are not expensive for the amount of work that goes into them and, and many of them will outlive us mm. certainly trees well um and i think you know plants are good value for money but but go to a proper nursery a proper garden center i'm not going to knock the sheds particularly but you know what i mean if you go to a proper nursery you'll get good advice from people that understand what they're growing how they've grown and they'll give good advice to the the person buying those plants yeah indeed and actually it's been mentioned on the podcast many many times it's often um, and I don't mean any criticism in this way, but it's often the people that get in the way of the plant growing rather than the actual plant. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, I think that's one thing that when people are going to garden shows uh, and they'll take photographs of the garden and of the planting, don't think that that's absolutely right. It's getting a bit better now, but designers often <laughs> mix plants up. They may look fantastic, but they might mix up shade lovers and sun lovers and the old alkaline lover dropped in with an acid plant or whatever. So just be careful at shows. I mean, if you're if you're in a plant marquee and the nurserymen are there and the and the plants are obviously on on, on the display, well, that's a different matter altogether. But in gardens, they they aren't always absolutely accurate as to the conditions they would be growing in so just just a bit of care there perhaps yeah definitely that's a that's a great tip and um where can people find out more about you if they want to find out some bits well um the website which is an easy one www.david-stevens.co.uk um email uh, david stevens uh, at or david-stevens at 
Uh, oh, God, I can't get it. Gardens at david-stevens.co.uk. That's the one. Um, but have a look at the website. and uh, Or if you go onto the internet, honestly, and put in David Stevens Garden Designer or anything to do with gardens, it'll all pop up. It's embarrassing. I'm on blooming too many pages as far as I can see anyway. There you go. <laughs> and uh, you're obviously doing garden as well. Is that the next time people will be able to see some of your designs? Yes, I think so. Um, yep, Gardener's World. Uh, I do lecture at Barnsdale, but I've just finished lecturing there this year. We do um, courses on gardens. I like Barnsdale because I, I was a pal of old Jeff Hamilton. He was a, he was a good man and a good bloke. You you saw, you know, you got what you saw. A pair of old jeans, dirty hands, and he got down there. He got muck and magic, wasn't it? Really, really was good. And he was the first organic gardener as well. So uh, I do teach at Barnsdale, and I love it. Um, but uh, I do lecture around the country or give talks. So, you know, anybody that spots one come along and they'd be more than welcome. They really would. Brilliant. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast. It's been really, really interesting, really kind of you to make some time. No, it's a pleasure, Alan, really is. It's, uh, it's always good talking to nurserymen and gardeners. You can't go too far wrong, really, can you? Very true. Very true. <laughs> thank you very much, David. Yep, you're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.